We're going to open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 today and continue looking at this, I think, very first letter that Paul wrote once he entered into that two-year waiting period at Rome. Uh, It's described at the end of the book of Acts that he is renting his own apartment or house, and he's basically carrying on uh, house church and a a house uh, Bible college for those that come in to him. Uh, He's chained to a Roman soldier uh, throughout the day, uh, but he's doing all this at his own expense. And so probably in that first year, possibly into the second year, either 61 or 62, uh, the people over at Philippi in Macedonia send him some assistance, both in the form of a person who's going to run errands for him, apparently, but also financial assistance. And so Paul, at some point, sits down and writes this letter in response. And one of the things that we've discovered he's a little bit concerned about is the very same thing I'm concerned about right now. And that is certain people in the church only seem to care about themselves. And they get kind of pushy and they get kind of mean. Uh, They insist on their own rights. They insist on their own way. Uh, to the detriment of other believers. And Paul uh, wants us all to knock that nonsense off. Uh, We need to have an attitude adjustment if that's where we're at. Uh, So even though we went over this in detail, I want to kind of just reread it with limited commentary uh, of his challenge that we all take on the attitude of Jesus. So Philippians chapter 2, verse number 3, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So we need, as Jesus taught us, to do unto others as we would have them do to us. We need to think more about them than our own rights. Uh, And then he gives the example of Jesus as the model we should be following. Verse 5, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So Jesus is God, but he did not insist when it came time for him to come to planet Earth and accomplish the atonement. No, I don't want to do that. I'm God. I'm holding on to my rights and and privileges. No, instead he did this. Verse 7, he emptied himself. He divested himself of his divine prerogatives. So he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, that is somebody that does the job, uh, and being found uh, made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus voluntarily died for us because that's what we needed. Uh, That was not his need. That was our need. And then, verse 9, for this reason also, God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, at the name of he who is salvation, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus gets all praise, all majesty, because of his self-sacrifice, because of his humble, um, his humble approach to the needs of others. And so that's the same attitude we should have. Verse 12, So then, my beloved, Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So his challenge to the Philippians is, I know you've always done the right thing. Whether I was there for the brief time I was, or visiting maybe for a brief time, doesn't matter. I know you've always tried to follow God's word. So do it again. Work out your salvation. He's not talking about earning your salvation here. He's talking about maturing yourself in that salvation, knowing and understanding other people matter. It's not about just me. It's about those that Jesus died for. And that means everybody, including the people I don't necessarily get along with, my enemies. And so we need to work that out and get our attitudes straight uh, in line with the attitude of Jesus. Uh, Because God wants to work through us. He wants to get things done through us. And if we're constantly only looking out for number one, if we're constantly in insisting, I have my rights, that's not going to get the job done. And so let's be like Jesus. Verse number 14, some more along this same line. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Uh, one of the banes <laughs> of uh, church leadership is when the people don't get along, when they grumble and complain about each other. And it's almost always because each group wants their own way. And so Paul just continues along this same theme. Just get it done. Do the things you need to do, which are prescribed in Scripture. Do these things without grumbling or disputing so that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. So we are to be better than the other people that exist in this sinful world 
because we're supposed to have been regenerated through salvation in the name of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be out there living that sort of lifestyle, shining that sort of example in this messed up world. As uh, I have often encouraged in these studies from the New Testament, we Christians need to be the best citizens, the best students, the best workers, the best recreators, whatever category you want to throw us into, we need to be the best characters in this world. People should should appreciate the way we interact with them, even when we want to discuss with them or debate with them the aspects of some difficulty between us, they should be impressed with how much respect and deference we put into that effort. And so that's what Paul is trying to promote here. Verse 16, holding fast the word of life, that's the gospel, so that in the day of Christ, I think this is probably the third time in just two chapters that he's been talking about the second coming of Jesus. So he says, you guys hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I didn't run in vain nor toil in vain. So this is his way of saying, you guys stick with Christ. Stick with doing things the way Christ would do them so that when Jesus shows up, I can brag on you. I can talk about how I didn't waste my time when I was bringing the gospel to you. And that sounds like a very worthy uh, thing for we preachers and teachers uh, or even interpersonal uh, relationship people would want whenever Jesus shows up. Uh, We want to be happy. Uh, with the results of what we've been doing. And those results would mean people coming to Christ, people maturing in Christ, people staying with Jesus Christ. Now, you might remember uh, that Paul kind of brought some of this stuff up when he was expressing his expectation that the prayers of the Philippians would soon be... um, Answered, and he would be released from detention at the end of his imperial review. But he also said that, you know, um, you know, even if something goes sideways, that's okay. Because for, to, for, for me, to live is for Christ. And that's really what I want to keep doing. But to die is gain. And that's fine. That's good. In fact, I'm better off if I die and go be with Christ. Uh, So he's been talking about this possibility at some point he may die for the gospel. Maybe now. Maybe later. So verse number 17, he kind of goes back to that theme. For even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Now, that's imagery that kind of 
goes past us today. But in ancient times, when they were still offering animal and food sacrifices in the temple, uh, sometimes the drink offering, that is a cup of wine, uh, would be poured out by the priest over the the meat or the bread offering while it's on the uh, altar grate. And so the drink offering also became part of the sacrifice. And so uh, what would happen to the drink offering when you dumped it out like that? Well, it would sizzle and, and vaporize or soak down into uh, the, the ground that was underneath the sacrifice grate, and it would disappear. It would be no more. And so that's what he's kind of expressing. So even if I do end up dying in service of your faith, that is, in having helped you come to Jesus Christ and mature in Jesus Christ, even if that's what happens, then I rejoice and share my joy with you all. He says, even if that's what happens, I'll be happy on my way out. Because I know you guys have come to faith because of my efforts. Verse 18, you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So you guys get it in your heads now that no matter what happens to me, you'll be happy. You'll be happy for the relationship that we've had together, but also because of the relationship we both have with Jesus Christ. And I, I just, that's just great expression of confidence that no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what occurs, if we're in Jesus Christ, we're good to go. Verse number 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Now remember, Timothy's name was at the very beginning of this letter. He's Paul's um, companion and co-worker. I hope to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. So he wants to send Timothy to do an investigation of how things are at Philippi. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Uh, Paul actually sent Timothy up through Philippi a couple of times already. Uh, when Paul left, uh, only after a few weeks of ministry there in, at the beginning of uh, his association with the Philippi people, um, he told Timothy to stick around and keep working with him and then eventually come and catch up with him either in Athens or eventually into uh, Corinth. Uh, then later, uh, when he was ministering at Ephesus during the third missionary journey, uh, Paul's intention was to cut up through Macedonia uh, once he was finished at Ephesus, and he was going to um, stop at Philippi. And so he sent Timothy up through there ahead of time uh, to, to get things ready and to just let everybody know I'm on my way and, and I've been thinking about you. So this is kind of another uh, intention of the Apostle Paul to do the same thing. 
uh, to send Timothy, who is well known to the people at Philippi, uh, to um, check up on them and to, um, to care about them, just like the Apostle Paul does. Verse number 21, For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. So Paul is aware there's some people, apparently in Rome, that they don't really care about what's going on outside their little frame of reference. He's critiqued these people before. Uh, They're only about themselves, and whenever they do preach the gospel uh, right now, uh, they seem to be trying to get Paul in trouble uh, with their words. And so Paul says, Timothy's nothing like those guys. He genuinely cares. And so that's why I would send him. Uh, Verse 22, but you know of his proven worth that he has served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Uh, Timothy came into um, association with the Apostle Paul as his protege, as his intern, we would say, um, during that second missionary journey uh, that eventually would bring them to Philippi for the first time. And he was probably an older teenager back at that time. And so Paul became his surrogate father. Uh, And that's how he still thinks of him. He's my kid. He's my son in the faith. Verse 23, Therefore I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. Uh, Apparently what he means about that is, once I have a better understanding of where I am in the bureaucratic uh, merry-go-round, you know, about how much longer it's going to be before my case is heard uh, by Nero. Um, that's when I'll probably send Timothy to you to kind of let you know how much longer uh, before I might be able to come and visit. Uh, verse number 24, And I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. Now, that's the reason why when we first started in this book, I said, It's possible that he wrote this letter during that first year that he was at Rome, but it may be more likely uh, that he wrote it in that second year, that is in the year 62, when his lawyers, uh, who would have been probably better... um, better understanding of bureaucratic procedures at Rome would have a sense that his case was coming closer and closer to being heard. And so uh, Paul says, I I expect, I anticipate, I'm going to be released, and then I'll come and visit you. Then he moves on to a man that is from, apparently, Philippi. Uh, verse 25, but I thought it necessary to write to you, uh, to, uh, to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. So this Epaphroditus apparently had arrived in Rome with a message from the Philippians for the Apostle Paul, Uh, But he also, as we will find later, 
brought financial support with him from the Philippians, at the very least, maybe some of the Macedonians as well that was around were around the region. Maybe they kicked in some because they'd heard that the Apostle Paul needed financial assistance while he was in Rome, renting his own space. Uh, but Epaphroditus also came to serve the Apostle Paul's needs, physical needs. That is, uh, the Apostle Paul just can't go out to the Agora, out to the Forum, to do shopping. Uh, he can't go running around the city of Rome or uh, into the suburbs to, you know, chase down people and send messages and things like that uh, because he's chained to a Roman soldier in this apartment. And so Epaphroditus can be his gopher. And so that seems to be why he was here. Uh, now, verse number 26, uh, because now the reason why he's writing to him about Epaphroditus and why he wants to send Epaphroditus back with this letter is, verse 26, because he was longing for you and was distressed because you'd heard that he was sick. Uh, so Epaphroditus is wanting to go back home because he's been getting messages that people were worried that he had been deathly ill. And so he wants to go back and in person reassure them, I'm okay, everything is fine. Verse 27, For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. So apparently at some point after his arrival, uh, Epaphroditus got deathly ill. And uh, Paul, even himself, being a, a, an apostle and having supernatural healing ability, he was worried he was going to die. And that grieved him that he would not have him as a companion anymore. Uh, and so, uh, verse number 28, Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you do see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. So Paul is definitely carrying out the very things that he was writing about earlier, and that is he cares more about other people's and their needs than he does about his own. So he says, I'm sending him to you with this note, with this message, because I know you need to see him and that he's okay. Verse 29, receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Meaning, because you couldn't come here as a group and help me out. He came and did that for you. And uh, he almost died in that service. And you should really appreciate him and other people like him uh, that will be uh, such sacrificial servants. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Finally, my brethren. Now, it almost sounds like he's finishing up but it takes him a while to finish, a whole nother half of the letter uh, to finish up. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. You know, celebrate your relationship to Jesus Christ. 
celebrate your relationship to Jesus, son, his, his, uh, his brothers and sisters in Christ. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard to you. So he says, it doesn't bother me one tiny bit to repeat myself. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in salvation. Rejoice in the church. Rejoice in all of these things. And then he gives some warnings. And these warnings let us know that even now the Apostle Paul is still wrangling with these Judaizer troublemakers. In fact, they're probably the ones that were trying to cause him trouble uh, whenever they preached the gospel here at Rome. Uh, He uses some metaphorical language about them. Verse 2, beware of the dogs. Now, we're not talking about a cute little puppy dog. We're not talking about your best friend dog. Uh, When dog is used here, it's talking about those stupid scavenger dogs that tear into your garbage and spread it all over the street, the dogs that chase your livestock or your cat, the dogs that dig under the fence and dig up your flowers. You know, you don't have a nice attitude toward those dogs, do you? Dogs that have mange and perhaps some other disease like rabies, those types of dogs. And so he's talking about troublemakers, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, so evil there makes it very plain, these are the guys that are trying to cause trouble, beware of the false circumcision, that cinches it for us. We know he's referring to the Judaizers, who insisted all Gentiles must become Jewish in order to be saved. And that means all you Gentile men have to be circumcised. So Paul is saying, watch out for these troublemakers. Verse 3, for we, we believers, are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We'll mark our place right there because of lack of time. See you next time we get into the Word.